This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Sticks. Pop quiz, word nerds. What do you know about the river Styx? It's from ancient Greek mythology, right? It's on the border between the mortal world and Hades, the underworld, right? It's on fire, or surrounded by fire, or has fire involved in some way, doesn't it? Wait, no, if you drink the water of the Styx, you forget everything. Or maybe if you touch the water, you forget everything. That's it, right? You can't touch the water because something terrible happens. That much has to be right, and that's why Caron the skeleton rose you across it on his ferry. But it's also guarded by a three-headed dog named Cerberus. Maybe Cerberus is Caron's puppy? Maybe that's why Caron needs all that money, because a three-headed dog costs three times as much to feed. Would you be surprised if we told you that basically everything after the Greek mythology thing was wrong? Probably not at this point, because we play this game a lot. We ask you about a thing, and then we laugh and say, WRONG! Well, if you said any of that, you're wrong. Technically, the Styx isn't on the border between Hades and the mortal world. It is most certainly not on fire. It also doesn't make you forget anything. In fact, it makes you invulnerable. And it binds you to your promises. And Charon doesn't ply his infernal ferry boat across the Styx. And Cerberus is nowhere near it. And Cerberus isn't Charon's puppy. So, why in Hades do you think any of that stuff? Where did that come from? Well, it turns out that that stuff is all correct. It's just that you have the wrong river. Or rather, the wrong rivers. Plural. You're mixing the sticks up with four other rivers, and honestly, even if you are one of those clever clods who took a mid-level humanities course and can rattle off the four other rivers, you might be forgetting one more. What's really interesting, though, is that D&D forgot three of the most memorable rivers and remembered the one no one remembers. Last week, when we talked about Yggdrasil, we discussed how the various planes of the D&D cosmos were interconnected in a lot of weird and complicated ways. In addition to the various outer planes of the Great Wheel, you also had these layers. Each of the outer planes had subplanes. The Nine Hells, for example, had nine layers. Avernus, Dis, Menoris, Phlegathos, Stygia, Malabolge, Maladomini, and Cania. And you would probably not be shocked to learn that some of those, like Dis and Malabolge, came from the divine comedy of Dante Alighieri. Others, like Stygia and Phlegathus, came from the Greek mythology. And generally speaking, you could only access the first layer of any given plane relatively easily. The other layers required you to travel through the layers above it, unless you had some very magical shortcuts. A few weeks ago, we mentioned that the definitive work on the planes was the Planescape campaign setting by David Zeb Cook, released in 1994 to critical acclaim for the second edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. 
And we also mentioned that the first real word about the planes came from E. Gary Gygax himself in a 1977 Dragon Magazine article entitled Planes, The Concepts of Spatial, Temporal, and Physical Relationships in D&D, which makes it look like he was going for a fantasy PhD in transdimensional metaphysics. But there was an intermediate work. In 1987, Jeff Grubb wrote the Manual of the Planes for the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons. And he explained in the introduction that the planes of existence, thanks largely to magazine articles and random mentions in various source books and modules and retcons and matters of plot convenience, the planes in D&D had become a dumping ground of inconsistent and confusing ideas. He compared the planes in D&D to Fibber McGee's closet. And if you don't know that reference, that's to be forgiven, because it's a reference that's about 60 to 70 years out of date. Way back, when the internet was audio only, and only had a few websites you had to tune to with a knob, and which you could only access at specific times when the site you wanted was being transmitted, and it was called radio, there was a radio show called Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber McGee had an overstuffed closet filled with everything imaginable. About once every episode, he would lose something. And then, while Molly and the other characters warned him not to, he would check the closet, and everything would come crashing out of it. Basically, it was an excuse for the Foley artist to make three solid minutes of hilarious noise. Oh my gosh, where's my hammer? The show ran on and off for almost 15 years, and they never got tired of that gag. What's a Foley artist? It's a sound effects producer. In the old days, when movies were audio only and broadcast... In the days of radio... When radio shows were produced and broadcast live, you had a person on hand with a big pile of stuff that he could make all sorts of different noises with, like door slams, thunder, rain, punching, and so on. He was a Foley artist, and he was named for the first sound effects wizard, Jack Donovan Foley, who worked for Universal Studios in 1914 and helped basically invent the concept of adding sound to movies. He also invented the concept of fixing the sound in post. Anyway, Grubb wrote the manual of the planes to clean up the cluttered hall closet of the D&D planes. And in his introduction, he admitted to doing something scandalous. When faced with the decision of what Indra's realm should look like, he explained, or the nature of the Yggdrasil, or what is to be found on each of the seven heavens, I employed a time-honored dungeon master process. I made it up. He also thanked his parents for explaining who Fibber McGee and Molly were, and introducing him to the idea of closet clutter. And so it was that Grubb started a massive cleanup effort. And one of the things he cleaned up was the River Styx. Basically, the Styx was another one of those planar shortcuts. It flowed through the first layers of all of the lower planes, the ones that were evil. It was sort of an evil Yggdrasil, in river form. And it followed some weird rules. 
had no headwater. It had no end point. It flowed whichever way it wanted. And if you know how to sail it, you could sail between any two points on it in a matter of hours. You could go from Acheron to Gahana to Hades to Tartarus to the Nine Hells to the Abyss to Pandemonium. And if you drank the water or ever touched it, you could forget everything. With a saving throw, of course. If you drowned in the river, there was a chance that you would wash up in any random outer plane. Oh, the Styx also provided a shortcut from the first hell, Avernus, to the fifth hell, Stygia. But what about those other rivers? What's the real deal with the Styx? Broadly speaking, the Greek cosmos could be divided into three realms, the heavens, the earth, and the underworld. After a bit of patricide and some unpleasant castration, Zeus and his two brothers Poseidon and Hades divided up the world. Zeus ruled the heavens, Poseidon ruled the earth and sea, and Hades ruled the underworld. You probably already knew that part. But, as we mentioned in a prior episode, the underworld is actually a bit more complicated than popular culture would have you believe. Most of what we know about the underworld comes from a variety of sources. First, there's Homer, who wrote the two great epics, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Second, there's Virgil. Virgil was actually a Roman poet who took most of the Greek mythology and compiled it and added his own little spins. He was also the poet that Dante got to hang out with in hell in Dante's book Inferno. First of all, the entire world and the underworld are encircled by a great river called the River Oceanus. The Oceanus circles the world nine times. Meanwhile, in the heart of the underworld, there's a swamp. And from that swamp issues forth another river, the River Styx. The swamp is also called Styx. And so is the primordial being who rules the swamp and the river, and is the daughter of the primordial being named Oceanus who rules Oceanus. In fact, the Styx is a branch of the Oceanus, and Oceanus gave his daughter one-tenth of all of his water to rule. Thus, the Styx makes the tenth circle around the world. The Styx is actually one of the five rivers that flows through the underworld. It is the greatest of the five, and it is very important to the gods thanks to a deal that Zeus cut. See, Zeus and the Olympian gods didn't rule the world to begin with. We mentioned the whole overthrowing his dad thing? Well, the world was originally ruled by a titan, a primordial being named Uranus. Uranus and his wife Gaia used to have all kinds of primordial sex, and so Gaia kept giving birth to all sorts of things. One-eyed cyclops, giants with a hundred hands called Hecatonkeres, and the Titans. Uranus hated his kids, and he locked them up deep in the most unpleasant part of the underworld, Tartarus, so they would never see the light of day. And Gaia got angry. So she made a magic sickle and gave it to her son Cronus, so he could castrate his father Uranus and fling his genitals into the ocean where all sorts of other monstrosities were born. And then Cronus claimed the cosmos for himself. And the first thing Cronus did? 
he put the Cyclops and the Hecatonchires right back in Tartarus so they couldn't oppose his siblings, the Titans. And Gaia got angry because Cronus did exactly the same thing Gaia made him castrate his father over. So Gaia and Uranus apparently settled their differences and decreed that Cronus would be overthrown by one of his kids. Cronus did the only sensible thing he could think of. Whenever his wife Rhea gave birth, he ate the child. And just like Gaia, Rhea got a little tired of the whole infanticide thing from her husband. So when she gave birth to Zeus, she hid the kid and fed Cronus a rock instead. And then Zeus went to war with his father, freed his siblings from Cronus' stomach, and battled the Titans for control of the cosmos. He then sent all of the Titans down to Tartarus for eternity. During the war, though, one primordial, Styx, agreed to side with the Olympians and Zeus. And in return for that alliance, Zeus swore that any oath sworn on the river Styx would be unbreakable. And so, when the Olympian gods made a promise, they promised by the river Styx. But the Styx is only one of five rivers in the underworld. And as you already know, the underworld is divided into Tartarus, Erebus, and the Elysian Fields because you listened to that episode already. Right? So let's talk about the other rivers. Aside from the Styx, the first river was the River Acheron, the river of woe. It flowed primarily out of Tartarus. And some writers considered it to be the second greatest river in the cosmos after the Oceanus. When a soul died, the god of death, Thanatos, would cut off a lock of their hair. Thereafter, Hermes would guide them to the edge of the underworld, and they would encounter the river Acheron. There, the ferryman Charon would accept a coin to carry them across the river. On the other side, they would pass Cerberus, the multi-headed dog with a snake for a tail and other different snakes for hair. Cerberus denied no one passage into the underworld, but only allowed a select few people to leave. Beyond that, the soul would be judged by the three kings to determine their ultimate fate. Tartarus, Erebus, or the Elysian Fields. And then there's the Cocytus, the river of lamentation, which gets mentioned in Milton's Paradise Lost and in Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus. And there is Phlegathon, the river of fire. Phlegathon was a primordial being with whom Styx had fallen in love, and she was consumed by his flames, and that is how the Styx ended up in Hades at all. And finally, there is the river Lethe, which flowed from the caves that Hypnos, god of sleep, called home. Lethe is the river of oblivion, the river of forgetfulness. If a soul managed to cross the river Lethe, during which it would forget everything it knew, it could escape the underworld and be reincarnated, according to Virgil's Aeneid. Plato used Lethe as part of a metaphor about knowledge in his book The Republic. He explained that people aren't born without knowledge. They just forget all that they know when they are born and have to remember it again. And there were also legends of another river, the Nemocene, which could bring back memories lost to the Lethe. Now, it should be noted that 
Although Jeff Grubb conflated all of those rivers into one super river, the River Styx, he did keep the names. Phlegathon and Cacitus became layers of pandemonium, and the howling wailing laments of the River Cacitus became the howling maddening winds that sweep through pandemonium and drive visitors insane. Acheron is the plane of law and is situated between lawful neutral nirvana and lawful evil hell. It is a plane of endless warfare between militant powers made of massive blocks of stone and iron that drift together. Because the plane is wishy-washy in terms of alignment, it has many, many armies, but few actual leaders. The armies clash whenever their massive blocks come close together. And as for the Oceanus... Grubb remembered that one. It is the river that connects all of the upper plains. It is the good-aligned Styx. There's a lot of neat fodder for your game in this story. We could give another lesson on economizing your cosmos and creating based on what will be useful and meaningful instead of building an overstuffed closet of a cosmos. But we've done that one. Instead, we want to ask you, Who's your psychopomp? You heard me. Psychopomp. From the Greek words suki, meaning soul, and pomp, meaning conductor. A psychopomp is a mythological figure who acts as a guide for the dead. In the Greek story, it is Hermes, though in some stories it's Thanatos and in some it is Charon. Usually, Hermes gave the dead the directions they needed to get to Acheron, and get into the underworld. What happens to the dead in your world? How do they get from the real world to the underworld? Or the afterworld? Or the other world? It's not a trivial question. Because when some PC is dragged back from death by her buddies who raised a thousand odd gold for a diamond and a prayer, you have to figure that the soul got partway through some kind of journey before it was yanked back. What exactly does it remember? This has been the GM Word of the Week. It was written by the Angry GM and recorded and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can find more at theangrygm.com and madadventurers.com